If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the 70s, the monster vocalists of the 80s, and the creativity and risk-taking of the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories. And I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My hope is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. Today's episode is going to feel like you're sitting through a class of Christian Music History 101. That's because John Still probably knows more about Christian music than anyone that's ever been in the industry. He is the founder and creator of CCM Magazine that got its start all the way back in the 1970s and ran through the 2000s. And I just really enjoy sitting down with John to hear all of the things that he knows about Christian music. Of course, we're just going to be able to scratch the surface over this hour. Uh, And if you're like me... Uh, you picked up CCM Magazine every single month and read it cover to cover. That's where I found out about uh, all the new albums that were coming out, great interviews with the CCM artists that I followed in, people who were on the horizon that I wanted to get to know. And then once for him got into our career, we were so privileged to be on the cover of CCM Magazine many times. And uh, it was just really great to connect with my old friend, John Still. Now, before we get started with that, I want to tell you about becoming a premium subscriber Just go to my website, andychrisman.com. You can sign up there. It's super easy. And your support of the podcast is greatly appreciated. So many of you already do that. And when you become a premium subscriber, you also get uh, early access to every episode. And you'll get some exclusive video content. And that's all, again, at my website, andychrisman.com. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter. That way you don't miss anything happening at the podcast, my radio show, Worship with Andy Chrisman, and any of the ministry stuff that I'm doing across the country, where I'm going to be, where I'm doing concerts, where I'm leading worship. All of that you can access by signing up for my newsletter. Again, that's at andychrisman.com. Okay, here's my conversation with the legendary John Still. I say so many times on this podcast, you cannot tell the story of Christian music without dot, dot, dot. And so far, that has included primarily artists, musicians, and producers. But John, you and I both know that the artists can make the music, but there are others out there that have to have brilliant marketing minds who create avenues for artists to sell their art. And John, your resume, in my opinion, is mind-blowing. Uh, former president of the Gospel Music Association, um, that we all know as GMA, um, and uh, head of the Christian Music Trade Association, served as a consultant for Sound Exchange and NAM, a founding member of the Nashville Music Council. And this is where my audience is going to know your name a founder of CCM Communications, which published a little magazine, among others, called CCM Magazine. Now, if rock stars yes. wanted to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, Christian artists wanted to be on the cover of CCM. That was always our goal. That's how you knew you made it if you were on the cover of CCM. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and I'm excited to hear your story today and to reconnect with someone who made a real impact on my career. And you cannot tell the story of Christian music without John Still, welcome to the One Degree of Andy podcast. This is really exciting for me to talk to you. 
Thank you, Andy. It's really good to be here. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk about CCN Magazine for a minute. We were talking before we got started that, you know, kind of what I feel like I'm doing here is providing a time capsule, an archive, you know, um, you know, uh, putting some of these conversations together so that they live beyond us. And, you know, a, a lot of what I do, I think about now, these are, these are things I can leave my kids and grandkids and they can know what their grandpa was all about. And, you know, some of the stuff I was a part of. And, you know, you, you were talking too about how CCM Magazine was at the time you were, you know, I don't know if you knew how long these stories would last or how long these copies would stay around, but, you know, you were chronicling what was going on during that great era. Yeah, our job was to document what was happening in real time uh, and to give as much perspective as we could at the time. And just basic information, uh, because when we started, and for a number of years after we started, there was no internet. So right. one of the more popular aspects of the magazines, we had these lists of where people were performing in concert. It was mm -hmm. you know, easy to find in a second on the internet now, but it was not available uh, back then. So we provided a service, I guess, and you know, doing reviews, and we interviewed artists, and we had news. I mean, if you were into the Christian music scene, uh, you could keep up. Uh, quite a delay factor from when we could actually gather it, print it, and distribute it. That seems so, you know, antiquated today. But it was what it was what it was back then. Yeah. And we started out covering something new. Yeah, first first issue of the magazine came out in 1978. Oh wow! I didn't realize it went that far back. Which is another epic ago. Wow. It sure was. And and so people didn't know what to make of it. It was still being, the music was still being, uh -huh. you know, hammered by televangelists and stuff as evil, yeah. the uh -huh. drums and, you know, whatever yep. was going on. And part of our motivation for starting it and as we went along was to try to help improve the industry. By industry, I meant not just the artists and the record labels can really improve them. That wasn't up to us, but the mechanisms by which they were getting to people, the retail stores, the radio stations, because, you know, back in the day, Christian radio is pretty abysmal, honestly. Right. Christian retail wasn't much better. Yeah. If it existed at all in most parts and, of the country. Yes. And, yeah. and we thought that uh, providing them information about how to do stuff, not that we knew everything, but we, knew who did mm -hmm. and put them in the magazine, we thought we might be able to uh, improve the efficacy of what Christian music is. These artists make these records. Let's get them out to people and let's, let's make the whole thing better because at the end of the day, we wanted to try to have some impact on the culture. And if your systems don't work, you're not going to have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Well, I think so many of us were, uh, I mean, it was a lifeline for those of us that love Christian music. I think of myself growing up in the 80s and, um, you know, going to a Christian bookstore or wherever. I can't even remember where I bought, like, my first Imperials albums or Amy Grant albums. Uh, but I do remember picking up a CCM magazine. And, wow. you know, I could, like you said, there were, there were touring um, schedules on there. So I could actually see who was coming to my area or... Or what albums were about to come out, or the reviews that you would give albums. So, you know, as a kid who had, you know, just a few bucks in his pocket to, to spend every month, I, I couldn't just buy every record out there. So, you know, it was fun to read the reviews uh, uh, of of what was going on with with the albums that were being produced. And 
And again, just to look at it and go, this is something that's different. It's the same, but it's different, right? So it's it, the quality was just as good as any other magazine I would pick up, but it spoke to something that was catching fire inside of me. And so I was yeah. I, early on, I was one of those devoted readers who couldn't wait for the next issue. And were you putting out weekly, monthly? Uh, well, we had two versions of it. Uh, it started out as a monthly, uh, actually it was printed on newsprint, the very first issues. Oh, really? Uh, but it was a monthly magazine, uh-huh. which has, you know, uh, some delay times between, you know, when you can print and get it out to people. Uh, but we created a weekly version of it really for industry people that had the uh, album charts and radio yeah. charts. So that would be CCM update, right? CCM update. That yeah. was business news that came mm-hmm. out every Friday. Uh, and we finished it Thursday night. It got printed and mailed on Friday and everybody got it on Monday. So it was much more up to date yeah. than the magazine could be, but it was, it was different material. Yeah. Well, those, I mean, for an artist, I mean, early in the days before him, that's how I knew where our singles were. Yeah. You know, I didn't always get a call from the record label, but I, I could pick up a CCM magazine or, or listen to John Rivers on 20, the countdown magazine or, uh, you know, those are the, those are the ways, even as an artist, I kept up with what was going on, even in my career. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who was the first, uh, who was, who was on the first cover of CCM? The Boone sisters. Uh, oh, Debbie Boone and Debbie Boone and Lindy Boone, okay. Lori Boone. Yeah. They, they, um, and Cherry Boone, they, yeah. Debbie had had her big hit. You light up my life. Right. I think in 1977, maybe. Yeah. And nobody yeah. had really interviewed or not from the Christian space uh, until that time. And so the Boone daughters put out an album called First Class in 1978. And through uh, my friend Doug Corbin, who is at the Lamb and Lion label, which is Pat Boone's label, mm-hmm. um, we got the first interview with the Debbie and her sisters. And that was the first cover. Wow. And so tell me about the pushback you got. I mean, you know, you talk about that, that uh, there was a lot of pushback on Christian music back in the day. Uh, did you feel any of that with, with what you were trying to do as far as uh, bring the artists into your space to talk about their music and, and their yeah. faith? And, you know, were there anybody, there anybody controversial back in those days? Oh, no, had- <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure, yeah. In, in addition to the, the pressure from the outside, which uh-huh. the, I, I remember having a epiphany one day, writing a long email to somebody who was banging on the whole idea of this music. And I thought, you know what? That is just what Satan wants me to do. He wants me to spend my time distracted over here dealing with this instead of doing what we were called to do. And so I, I canceled that email. But people like Jimmy Swaggart actually interviewed him. We were face to face. And uh, he was telling me how you know terrible he thought it all was. I said, well, like these rock groups like Petra, it's not for Sunday morning church. I don't want Petra doing rock and roll in church on Sunday morning. This is way before <laughs> well, the whole say, current praise and worship movement. Yeah, until the late had. 90s, of course. Yeah. And yeah. so on TV, that came out as I met with one of the leaders of the Christian music, music industry, and even he thinks it shouldn't be in worship. Oh, man. Twisted it completely. Yeah. So you got that. And then you had uh, occasional pushback from within. Uh, you mentioned you liked reading reviews because you couldn't afford to buy everything. Yeah. 
and a review would help you decide what to buy. Well, a bunch of artists got together and sent us a group letter one time objecting to the whole notion of reviews, negative reviews, that is. Yeah. Uh, they're all happy with positive reviews. Of course. They didn't like a negative review and they didn't like charts because that you can't compare ministries, like you can't rank ministries in order. And our fundamental response was, well, uh, you are creating a product, for lack of a better word. You're creating a record. You're asking people to pay for it. Therefore, the consumers have a right to know what somebody else thinks about it, Yeah, whether it's good or not or whatever. Uh, you know, we were careful. If someone was a brand new artist and they had a lousy record, we didn't review it because no one was asking about it. If Amy Grant puts out an album, we're going to yeah. certainly review it. And and critically, not negatively, but right. we're going to give it a, a critical ear. Uh, they did not like that. And they didn't. They said, we can't imagine the apostles and prophets being ranked in order like on your charts. And we kind of tried to graciously say, well, you know what? Y'all aren't apostles and prophets. <laughs> I feel that. And, I do. And feel second that, of all, yeah. if, if you don't want... <laughs> People to have to decide whether they want to pay retail for your record, then put it out like Keith Green did for free. That's right. Wow, Just that's pick good. one. Mm -hmm. Just do that. If you want to be pure about it, do it the way he did. So who was and, listening to the records and reviewing? Was that you? Was it somebody on your team? Or did you do it as a collective? No, we had a, we had a staff of freelance writers. I wrote personally. It, as time went on, I wrote very little actually in the magazine. I was mostly just kind of directing the circulation and the marketing and the uh -huh. overall editorial and you know the the business of doing it what happens in these things is they grow a little bit and you don't get to do what you originally loved doing so we had but we had people who were far more capable than i was to uh adjudicate uh music as it came out and uh and i i think our reviewers were were generally really really good uh, and I think our journalism was good. That's a, that's a that was another tenet of ours. Uh -huh. We decided to treat Christian music seriously and to apply real journalism to it. That means you look at it objectively and you report on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we had all those things. And um, not just the good news. We weren't just whitewashing stuff. stuff that, and we didn't muckrake. We didn't gossip. Uh, but you know, we were honest. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, there has to be an outlet to tell the truth and there were, not everybody believes that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Well, not everybody wants to hear it, especially those of us that make our living. I mean, I, look, I, you know, I, I would have to be honest to say everything that I read in CCM about us, I was kind of like, Oh, really? I don't know about that. Or did I actually say that? Because just, you know, our, we have selective memory and we always want to be cast in a, in the best light possible. So anything that you construe as negative, it's, you know, I, I deal with artists all the time. I, I coach a lot of them and I'm like, man, you gotta, you better have some pretty thick skin because not everybody's going to like what you do. And somebody may say something negative about you that you don't want to hear, but it's actually the truth and you need to hear it. And when, but when you're in the moment, you're in that momentum, you know, I get it. I get, I, you know, it, I, I can't remember if there was, you know, I don't know how many did you give four stars, five stars? I don't know what the or I don't think we did a star rating or there was something there that I remember was like um I mean obviously you'd know better than me, but you know, to be able to tell maybe not <laughs> if the if the uh, record was worth buying or not or how you felt about it with the write up. Um 
But, you know, I don't remember any time I would hear something negative about one of our albums in your reviews, it'd be like, oh, you know, there's that. Yeah. You know, but, then, but then when you go back and go, hey, you know, you're right. They were right. It, it, was, it was hard sometimes uh, publishing stuff knowing it was going to probably make somebody cry. Because you put all this work into making a record, and yeah. then some idiot with a typewriter just dismisses it in yeah. a few lines. That yeah. has got to suck if you're on the artist side. It does, and you think and about that too with with the people in sports and you know uh, people in 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 you know in, in music and art in the secular world. There is a lot of animosity between the people who make the art and the people who judge the art, and yeah. that's yeah. Well, there's there's always going to be a tension there. Uh, and first of all, we never set out to be mean. We we were never, uh, there was no animus with us and artists or the industry. I mean, we were reporting on an industry that we were, you know, de facto part of. Uh, but, you know, there's um, there's what's popular and there's what's good. Those aren't yeah. necessarily the same thing. And we were trying to point out the stuff that was good. Um, and some stuff was super popular, but not good. And if you come out against that, or you say something negative about it, man, people get really uppity. Yeah. <laughs> they they don't like it. Um, did you have Did you have anybody? I, I don't. You don't have to name names. You don't want to. But um, did you have any artist or label in particular that that you had issues with? You know, during that time. Not that we had issues with, but they had issues with us. Well, yeah, that's maybe that's what I meant. Yeah, there was there was a time where, uh, and I'm I'll name names. Uh, we did a review of Carmen's "Addicted to Jesus," or you know, may he rest in peace. Uh, that was pretty negative. We started out with the basic comment that you know addiction is just not a good property, no matter huh. what you're addicted or to or who you're addicted to. And then went on. I mean, he was a he was a showman. He was mm -hmm. theatrical. Yeah, in what he did, and and uh, and we kind of kind of called out some stuff on that record, and he called me up, and I rarely get sick, but I had pneumonia, and I was in bed listening to him yell at me for an hour and a half. Oh, no. Wow! And he and he vowed to never be in the magazine again, and you know. Of course, you can't pick that, you know, we're not going to review your record. If you put right. it out there, we'll go buy it if we have to. Yeah. Uh, but the good news on that is uh, we reconciled sometime after that. I went to his house there in Tulsa and uh, and we did an interview, me with him uh, as the sort of head guy at the magazine. So it had a little extra weight, maybe. Right. Um, and uh, and then, you know, I think we're good because <laughs> he... I saw him at a release party, and he says, "Did you, have you heard it? Did you like the record?" I said, you "Need to read our review." <laughs> but, you know, he was he was super sensitive, and we had a record label, one of the majors, who felt like they were not getting adequate coverage, specifically not enough covers for their artists, and they just decided to boycott us. Huh. We're talking one of the big three. Oh, what was it, uh, Benson? No, it was Sparrow. Oh, interesting. Because, they were man because Sparrow had had so many big hitters yeah as and, artists and over there these were, these are friends of mine I mean when Billy Ray was starting Sparrow he called up said hey I'm starting a label I want you to be our voice for all of our in store stuff our radio commercials I did yeah. all of Sparrow's commercials and all their stuff for the first few years I mean we we're friends I've known had known Bill since he was fourteen um, 
It's not like we were uh, enemies in any way, but he just got sideways with thinking that other people were getting better coverage. There's always this clash between California and Nashville. Mm. Um, and the Nashville people thinking we were very much favoring California because we were in California at the time. So they all thought we were hanging out with Sparrow people every day. And then Sparrow's the one who, who <laughs> turned off the, the money spigot to us, which was very tough. However, I will say we never changed our editorial policies. We continued to cover people. We, we, all we did was call it as we see it. Yeah. I'm proud in the nicest sense of that word to say no one can ever truthfully tell you that they bought advertising in exchange for editorial, that we made a deal with them. Hey, you buy the back cover and we'll make sure your, your person gets on the front cover or we'll do an article. We never did those kind of exchanges. There was a, a church state separation. Uh, between editorial and advertising yeah that's good so which is tough sometimes because you someone's yeah. a big advertiser and you trash the product they're advertising mm -hmm. you don't trash it but you know you do say something negative yeah that's tension that's that's really tough and we, yeah. we got we got some un, unpleasant phone calls but it took a couple years and i and a couple meetings and uh, we were able to work that out uh as well uh because we just kept doing what we were doing and this is just a funny little anecdote about that. Their publicity department would keep calling us to pitch articles. And I finally called up Bill. I said, you know what? If you don't think we have enough value for us to advertise, then stop calling us for editorial. <laughs> he said, okay, we will. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, one, and, one, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I really do appreciate about, um, about CCM Magazine over the years was just how fair it was and how it, it did feel like you covered as many artists you know, that were coming up in their prime as possible. And, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to cover everybody all the time. So I can understand that tension there. But uh, I always felt like CCM was very fair. Well, thank you very, very broad, much. Very broad in its coverage. You know, I, I've had Michael Rowe of the 77s on the podcast, and he brought you up and, and you know, saying that really? he's... Really? Yeah, he said he... I don't know if you remember this, but he mentioned that he talked to you and was upset that they were never on the cover of CCM and he said you looked at him and said that would be the worst thing for your career you don't want to be on the cover of my magazine because that's not your audience your audience wouldn't it, it, it's two separate things and he's yeah. like I got it I totally got it and appreciated that honesty with him but I know there were you know a lot of bands that were just kind of off the beaten path or weren't in you know CCM is contemporary Christian music so you know for rock bands and fringe bands and you know, uh, you know, there, there was a whole, there were other subcultures of Christian music that probably didn't get as much time in your magazine, but I, I would see them in there from time to time. So I, I always did applaud you guys for trying to broaden my horizons as a reader, as a listener, as somebody who loved music to check out other artists and people who were up and coming. Well, we had to try to figure out who was in the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, and we knew who the audience was pretty well. Yeah. Um, and there were magazines or publications serving the alternative community. And while we covered most of those bands one way or another, we didn't cover them the way we would the more mainstream pop stuff. And frankly, we chose that uh, because uh, this had to make money. Yeah. It never really did, but it had to at least pay for itself and 
pretty expensive uh, operation to do it uh, right. And so we went for the center of the market. And uh, that sounds pretty crass, pretty cold, but that is a calculation you have to make. That's right. And um, then we tried to execute. But, you know, we were the first person, first person, first uh, publication to put Steve Taylor on the cover. Yeah, I remember that. We, we, we did put a lot of rock and alternative mm-hmm. bands in there, and we covered almost everybody. We covered you too, even though they didn't want to be covered. <laughs> we covered, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. and, you know, you have a for him on the cover, and then you would have um, Whiteheart. Yeah, Whiteheart. Uh, I'm not sure we ever had Bruce Coburn or somebody like that on the cover, but we yeah. we went out on the edge every now and then. But those, we also knew exactly what sold because it was the best selling magazine in Christian bookstores, and we knew what the return rate was. And so we can tell if we hit or missed yeah. uh, with the audience. And, and you alluded to just a second ago that it wasn't, that, that it wasn't a, a huge profit. There wasn't a huge profit margin for a CC no. magazine. Mm-hmm. So why, why, why keep doing it all those years? Like why keep something like that in print if it's not a moneymaker for your company? Well, uh, it, it was what started the company. And I mean, we kind of, we, made some money sometimes we lost money sometimes it kind of at the end of the day was a break-even operation it felt important to do you know and and uh it employed several people and uh and i think it made a difference for better or for worse in the quote-unquote industry and uh, it just seemed like uh i don't think we ever really thought about stopping it and when when was the last issue when was the last actual print issue Last printed issue, I believe, was in 2009. As far as I know, it's still online. Yeah, I, I run across it every once in a while. It's it, not as robust uh, as it was, but it's uh, that was almost a 30-year run. Wow. Or was it 2009? It was just, sh- hmm, seems like it was just shy of 30 or 35 years wow. in print. Well, that's, which, that's <laughs> incredible. You know, for the Jesus music movie, they wanted some covers. And I have some boxes in my garage with all the issues, and I got those out, started going through them. After going through literally hundreds of them, I was like exhausted. I thought <laughs> this was so much work doing all this and trying to and finding these covers. But I was also really proud yeah. to review that once again because yeah. it's sort of you know back there in the in the back history and seeing it again, mm. uh, all that photography, all that writing, all that stuff. It was uh, it was gratifying. Wow. Do you have artists that, that stop you and tell you thank you? Or, I mean, I, I'm one of them, but, uh, or, or ask for like copies. And I know my mom had every copy that we ever, you know, yeah. that we were ever on the cover or had an ad in somewhere. And so I, once she passed away, I had this, I got this big box of so many CCM magazines that I was really, I was really grateful for. That's uh, cool. Just because that's something I'm, I'm glad that I have now. We, we have artists. I mean, I'm trying to remember back in the day, uh, people were very, uh, for the most part, very kind to us. You know, I mean, there, there's, an, there's an old saying, don't tick off people who buy their ink by the barrel. And, you know, I think they were a little worried about maybe we would be capricious about things and okay. try to get back to them yeah. for something. I, said, no, I just totally understand how, that. Yeah. It was not how we rolled at all, <laughs> you know, but you no, know, people don't know that they, that's yeah. what they think that we're, you know, going to go take somebody out. We just <laughs> never, ever did that. But we have, uh, yeah, people have said some really nice things back last year. 
in December of 2022, when Amy Grant was honored by the Kennedy Center. To me, that was kind of the culmination of everything we had been trying to do. Mm. A Christian artist is put up in the public eye that in that way and honored amidst, I mean, she was up there with you too. Yeah. And the, and these other artists. And I thought that is, I mean, that, that made me cry and not much does. I was Mm. so proud of her and collectively us, not the magazine, but us, everybody who got her there. She got herself there first and foremost. And I, I was talking to her. I said, Amy, that was, that was so great. I just loved seeing you there. And she said, well, you know, you're a big part of that story, which was one of the nicer things she could have possibly Mm. said. She's not wrong. Uh, Again, I feel the same way that, you know, that um, people wouldn't know who we were as much if we weren't on the cover of your magazine. Well, so there you you go. Uh, You know, part of our job was to expose people to the audience and to let them know that this was available. It would be a benefit to their lives musically and hopefully spiritually. And uh, we were helpers in that regard. Well, we've talked a lot about CC Magazine and, you know, honestly, just because, like I said in the intro, I think people will recognize your name that used to buy the magazine because it was, you know, that's John Still, CCM Magazine. Uh, But obviously, that's not all that you've been a part of. Can you just take us back a little bit to how you got into the Christian music scene and and where that all started for you? That's pretty easy. and first of all, I just, I, before we leave the topic of CCM Magazine, it was far more than me. The people on the ground, the editorial staff, the circulation staff, the marketing people, graphics people, they were the ones really who made it happen. I was just sort of, I was the guy behind the curtain fiddling with the knobs. But they were the ones who really did it. But without them, we'd have nothing. So my interest has always been in radio. And uh, I got involved. I was working at a little production company in Southern California, and we did we did all the tapes for like one way library, so Chuck Smith tapes and mm-hmm. Walter Martin tapes and Hal Lindsey tapes, all those stuff. Uh, I ran the production duplicating production facility, and we also built a sort of a broadcast radio studio, turntables, and all the stuff for broadcasting. And Maranatha Village hired us to produce a daily Christian music radio show in 1974. Oh, wow. And I became the host of that show because I was there. Huh. And I when you've really... you voice for it. Didn't, oh, thanks. I didn't know very much about the music, although I had been around that scene. I mean, I was at Calvary Chapel mm-hmm. going there, and Maranatha One came out, and I knew all those people. Uh, Chuck Smith Jr. and I were on the track team together. Uh, Chuck Smith Sr. married my wife and I. Wow. Um, so I was very close to that whole scene, but I, and I knew that stuff. What I did not know was like the Gaither Trio and and other stuff from that world. So the music department of the store uh, hipped me to those things and kind of made the playlist of what to play. So I played it, and the owner of the store, Jim Willems, who was a visionary, bought an hour of time every day on KGER, which was an AM station in Long Beach, California. Big signal, but it was a dollar a holler uh, station, as we used to call them. It was all, it was all preachers. Dollar a holler. 
And these guys oh, did not yeah. have a sales department. They had a, a three by five card file. When somebody dropped off, they just go to the next one and put them on the air. That they had such a backlog of demand. But it was owned by a, a John Brown University, and Jim yeah. Willems was an alumnus of that school. So he got some priority, and he bought this hour because he knew if he could get the music played on the radio, he could sell some records. Because there was not one radio station in the U.S. that played Christian music like that. So we played everything from Larry Norman to the 16 Singing Men. Wow. And, um, and I interviewed people. I interviewed uh, Second Chapter of Acts and all these bands that were coming out at the time and occasionally played songs. I, I remember one day the, the general manager of the station was this really old crotchety guy and was playing something by, I think, Barry McGuire that was a bit of a banger for the day. <laughs> and he called up, what are you trying to do to our radio station? <laughs> you know, and anyway, there's a lot of stories associated with that. But so that's how I kind of got in uh, and working closely with that retail store, which became the number one seller of Christian music in the country at the time. Wow. And it was housed in the original Calvary Chapel building on Sunflower Avenue in Santa Ana. Through that, um, got to know more and more of the people in the industry and jim willems bought a little newspaper in southern california called contemporary christian x acts and um we were publishing that as a newspaper and then we kind of had the idea that maybe we and i was the editor of the music section just because i was there and yeah. i studied journalism in college in addition to mass communications and i became the editor of the music section by default and then we decided maybe we could make this music section into its own publication so we created as a spin-off to contemporary christian acts contemporary christian music same fonts same design same everything just different content and that's how it started that's interesting because that font i think when you say the font i immediately see it in my head that was very iconic and you kind of kept a, a version of that all the way through well, yeah, I, I know the one you're thinking of. It's, this would have been an earlier incarnation of oh, it okay. that we, we moved away after a while uh, because we started calling it just CCM uh -huh. at some point, I think in 83. Uh, you know, we never referred to the music as CCM. We never referred to the industry as CCM. We only really? refer, we only use that acronym, acronym in reference to the magazine itself. Interesting. Interesting. But now it's, be, you know, it's become the, the acronym. Uh, and he created uh, a brand. Yeah, you could. You could we actually it. had a trademark on it, but we never enforced it. Well, uh, so what would you say? GMA, Gospel Music, Gospel Music Association. Would you like? How would you describe in your in your in your vernacular? How would you describe what Christian music is in one phrase? Music yeah. about the spiritual life. Oh well, wow. okay. And that I can agree. be any anything about the spiritual life. That can be praise. That can be. Mm -hmm preaching it can be instruction it can be motivation exhortation any number of things it can be entertainment it can be ministry those things are not mutually exclusive it's not a binary choice and you know a lot of the controversy then and now is is it entertainment or is it ministry Interesting. one of my favorite lines of all time i was sitting in the back of a concert hall with gary mcspadden and something was going on. I think it was at GMA or someplace. Somebody was on the stage. I don't remember who. I honestly don't. 
And Gary leans over, and we've been having this discussion. He leans over and he goes, I must be getting ministered to right now because I'm sure not being entertained. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, that was the that was kind of the cloud we all lived under for so long and never you know, I never knew how to put words to it. I just knew that we were good at what we did and we were Christians and we I love how you said that. It's it's about our spiritual life and in God. It's it's our spiritual journey that we're talking about in our music. It's just exactly what people in pop music were doing. They were talking about their personal lives and the things they were going through and you know, the the chaos in their lives or who they were in love with. And that's all we were doing in Christian music was just expressing who we were in Christ. The ministry industrial complex is in fact very complex because you've got these layers. You've got money. You've got theology. You've got sort of the business You've got the ministry, all these things rolled into one. Um, I, I heard your interview with Steve Camp and talking about his 107 theses that he did. Yeah. And I kind of butted heads with him on that. On some things, I agreed with a lot of it. But he said companies like his own company, he was with Sparrow. Well, they are unequally yoked with EMI because they're a ministry and EMI is a business. And I'm like, don't look now, but Sparrow's a business. <laughs> no, they they are. Yeah. All these all these people, all the groups are businesses. Yeah. For him was a business. A At the end of the a day, business. a church is a business is, it's in all, many, it's, many ways. It's the difference is when you have a ministry, nobody owns it. Nobody owns a church and then sells it at a profit. But you can own a company and sell it at a profit. But at the end of the day, they both have to have a revenue stream and control expenses. Uh, the revenue stream could be donations or it could be somebody buying product. It's right. all really kind of the same. But when you get money and fame and spirituality all kind of rolled up into that thing, it gets really, really messy sometimes. And uh, you, you said uh, if this industry wouldn't be the same without blank. So many times I've heard the phrase, well, if the purpose of Christian music is blank. There's a hundred different things in that blank. Yeah. It's probably all of them. Yeah. Just not all at the same time. It's okay. You know, yeah. just don't get so uptight about when somebody is doing something other than what you're doing. If you don't like it, don't buy it. Yeah. People don't understand the power of the mosaic, you know, that, that, uh, you know, and I think that's, again, it's just a big part of what's wrong with our, with our society right now is everyone has an opinion that can be broadcast everywhere. And, <laughs> There's so much division on what's right, what's wrong, what's what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and you know, I mean, look, not not everything is acceptable and and right, but we've lost the ability to have discussion. We've lost the ability to sit down and listen to someone else's point of view, which you know, I can also say, you know, it's I love that my kids listen to my music, and I listen to their music, and again, taking it back to CCM, I think that. That you know what was so beautiful about that era of CCM was how how much, much of a mosaic that it was, and CCM magazine really portrayed that in a great way. I mean, I'll be real honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of current Christian music because to me right. it's a little vanilla, it's it's a little kind of one note ish, 
uh, and not that it's not doing what it's supposed to do, but I think that's another reason why people are, uh, you know, they are interested in going back and listening to the music of the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, because there people were taking chances and there were different voices and different ideas. You had Steve Camp, you know, and Carmen, who were these firebrands out there that were, you know, uh, speaking their mind and you didn't always agree with them. But then you had, you know, people like Twyla Paris and, and, and uh, uh, Steve Green and Larnell Harris and Horna Grace, who are on the, the other side of that, who, you know, so many other people could go, well, I'm, I, I can get with that. But it's when they all come together and we can, you know, we can respect one another, we can argue with one another. And in the end, you know, we can sit down and have conversations yeah. in our older ages and go, yeah, I really appreciate what you, you did back then and what you stood for. As I've gotten older, and I think this is a great comment, Andy, thank you. I, I've become a lot less interested in all the arguments and discussions. And I'm like, my, 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 what a tempest in a teapot. Hmm. It's uh, Barry McGuire said that one time <laughs> about the whole uh, uh, letter from all the artists, which he was one of them that signed, but I wrote a very long response to it. We published it and they're just blah, blah, blah. And he wrote a quick note and that's all he said. My, 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 what a tempest in yeah. a teapot. Yeah, which, I, I, I forgot. I was going to ask you if you published uh steve's theses i think we did i think you did too uh, and i and we commented on them too maybe don't really remember i remember he and i having a lot of face-to-face -face discussions about it yeah uh, back in the day because we were friends we were good friends i mean um i well probably don't need to go into that very <laughs> very much but um uh yeah one of the things that folks couldn't handle with CCM magazine is the multiple points of view that can be put out at once mm. or at different times. Yeah. And I think we may should have had more of a editorial point of view. We were, we saw ourselves at the time as more of a conduit for points of view. If you're Steve Camp, you get in there, you say what you want to say. If you're, Carmen, you get on there and you say what you want to say. If you're for him, you say what you want to say. Whatever, whoever. Uh, we let all those different points of view breathe out there. Because our mantra was kind of like the original Fox News. We report, you decide. Yeah. And <laughs> we're not trying to decide for you. For me, victory was making someone think about it. If I can make you think about it and come to a conclusion, then I've done my job. And because a lot of people uh, in the industry, a lot of artists just did it because it was there to do. They felt yeah. like doing it. They didn't, they weren't really strategic about it and they didn't really know. And one thing I will say about Carmen, he knew exactly what he was doing and why he was doing it. That's right. He was very strategic about it mm -hmm. and not in a bad way. I mean, I have to give him kudos for that. Um, he didn't get me addicted to Jesus, but, <laughs> but I, I, I admire the fact that he had at least thought about it. Yeah. And, you know. Well, and to be fair, John, uh, you know, I, I look back on my career and go, did I even really know what I was talking about? Most of the time I didn't. I'm I'm figuring it out as we go, and and I think you probably saw that with younger and younger artists being signed because it really wasn't that way. I mean, Amy was young 
when she was signed to her first deal. But, you know, beyond that, I would say the majority of people who are signed to record deals in Nashville uh, were a little bit older, a little more seasoned, maybe, uh, you know, kind of had some sort of career before they got their first album deal. But then in the late 90s, early 2000s, man, it really shifted to, you know, more of this, what would become the American Idol approach of, you know, let's just find the next youngest, brightest star and put them out there. And so, you know, I was 23, I think, when, when our first For Him album came out. I'd been in truth before that for a few years. And, uh, you know, if, to me, it was all a blur. It was all, you know, it was concerts all the time and studio all the time and interviews all the time. And you just... It's a great life. You roll with it. it. Yeah, you do. But you also look back and go, I said that? Oh. Oh, wow. Did <laughs> well, I mean to say that? <laughs> That's in print now. And I don't know that I believe that way. Uh, when know, I turned 30, I looked back on my early 20s and thought, man, I was such an idiot. <laughs> we all were. And then we you turn were. 40 and you look back when you were 30 and go, man, I was really an idiot. Yep. And I'm still saying that. Yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, I think that I think one of the things that had to be tough for you guys was you did have a lot of artists that didn't quite have their compass pointed where they knew they wanted to go. They were kind of trying to figure it out. And uh, I'm sure some of those, you know, again, like an artist like me, I can look, I can go back and read some of those old interviews and just go, Oh, what was I thinking? But we were trying to figure it out and you gave us a place to do that. But again, I'm sure it created, you know, people who maybe were a little more uh, mature in their faith or, uh, you know, knew been to seminary where I had not been. And could pick apart what I was saying and going, well, that's, you know, that's on them and that's on CCM Magazine for, you know, putting that stuff out there. I'm sure there was, that was a part of it as well. Yeah. You had um, people who clearly weren't ready. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of management responsibility. Yeah. You know, you're going to have immature people. You're going to have a hundred percent sinners. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, (laughs) uh, and sinners sin. That's right. Haters hate. Yeah. Players play. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the sinners that have a platform, they do it for the whole world to see. And uh, it's hard to stumble in public. Yeah. And, you know, for for us, and this would apply to GMA and everything, um, you really have to decide uh, how you're going to treat that. Yeah. Because you Uh, had someone has failed. Is there a point in which they're rehabilitated and you bring them back in? Um, the radio had that dilemma for so long with, you know, uh, Amy and Gary's separation and then of yeah. course Sandy's divorce. And then, I mean, probably the biggest thing of all was Michael English and what happened yep. to him. I mean, you guys have to cover that and be honest about it, uh, without being gossipy, right. Without being gossipy. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's gotta be a difficult place to find yourself in. Or, or maybe that's what you're, you know, ultimately it's what you're created to do is to navigate some of these stories and, you know, at least tell right. them with some dignity and some class. We didn't have the term cancel culture back then, but nope. you know, some people definitely got canceled. And we were, you know, even at the GMA, you have to decide who you're going to platform. When do you let Michael English come back on the double words? Yeah. When is it sort of okay? When is it safe? When is it safe for Amy Grant? Uh, it's, um, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a hard thing. Cause it's, you know, obviously we're not supposed to be the judges. Uh, that's God's job, uh, but we have to be responsible for the platform that we have been entrusted with. 
And, uh, and that was the same with GMA. GMA was and is a really complicated thing because that is trying to bring together contemporary Christian music, rock and roll, black gospel, southern gospel, everything in between, and put it all in a bowl and make it come out looking cohesive. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, pretty tough. Yeah. And, you know, with a show like the Dove Awards, uh, without even getting into whether we should have awards, uh, it was difficult when you've got a couple hours, what you put in that couple of hours that represents it. Grammys have the same problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, classical music doesn't get its quote unquote fair share, nor does jazz, mm-hmm. nor does gospel, because they have to decide what's going to keep eyeballs on the TV. That's right. That's right. And it's not, you don't want it to be just about that, but it is about that has to be about that at some level. That's what I found in Christian music as I look back on it after all these decades is that extremely thin line. And, you know, <laughs> we, we, we've, we've, we've talked about this several times already that, um, you know, is it about marketing? Is it about ministry? And it's that, it's that constant battle that we all faced, you know, whether you're an artist or on your side of things, uh, you know, what, what do we promote? How do we promote it? And why are we promoting it? And, you know, it, you know, obviously I don't want to get into, should we have Dove Awards or not? Because I do have my, you know, I do have my opinions on that. Uh, again, being away from it for so long and I don't ever want to come off as the guys like, well, I'm not getting nominated. So I don't, I don't believe in it. And I think some of that comes from, you know, if we're honest and, uh, Steve's a friend of mine, but Steve camp, you know, you can look at what he, you know, what he put out there and, but you can, you know, the industry can look back and go, well, but, but your sales are dropping. And you're, you know, you're, you're not played on the radio anymore. So this is kind of your dig at why, you know, that's what happens in this industry that I think is, you know, if we manage it well, man, we can reach a lot of people, but you're off just a little bit. It's, it can be a little bit of a hornet's nest. And again, I just, I think that's why I have such respect for you, John, and what CCM magazine was able to do because you, you, it felt like you were a part of that thin center line that could tell the whole story and the whole story just didn't get told very often. And, right. uh, you know, you've got a, you know, you've got quite a legacy. You think you talk about all those boxes of <laughs> all those magazines, you know, that the story is in there and, you know, I'd love for somehow that story, you know, those stories to get out somewhere with some sort of, you know, uh, you know, sustainability. It's uh, yes, but you know, interest has changed. I mean, that a magazine like that, I don't think could make it today because, first of all, a lot of what it delivered you can get other ways. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, And I think interest in that whole world has just shifted dramatically away from the Christian singer, songwriter, performer to the whole worship industrial complex, uh, which is a little negative, but I have issues with it. Yeah, (laughs) I do too. um, I do too. It's uh, and I, you know, musically, it's uninteresting to me mm-hmm. um and I, I in the jesus music movie i thought it was fascinating some of these productions they showed these were huge productions yeah way bigger than what there used to be and it just seemed really odd to me um uh, to see this but that's you know, we we could there's better people than me to uh to, to discuss that um but 
thank you for your comments. Uh, that's very, very kind. Well, I believe in this. I believe that everything comes back around. And you and I have lived long enough to see you know, us travel around the circle once or twice. And everything comes back. Right. And I, I yeah. do think I do feel like with the people that I interact with, the audience that I have, that there is a there people I'm not gonna say people are tired of worship or or current CCM, but there is a, a desire to feel something again, to feel something musically again. You talk about, you know, that it's typical in the Grammys not to, you know, not to see a lot of love for classical and jazz, but you know, uh People feel things when the music is a certain way. Yep. And when it People, gets wider, I think, yeah, have yeah. always wanted authenticity. Yes. And so when Jesus music first came out, for folks for whom church meant choirs and organs, love song was quite authentic to them. Yeah. That felt very, very real. And that movement at that time uh, not only felt real, but was real. And there were, it was authentic. And then it morphed into becoming an industry and felt a little less authentic, maybe. Yeah. And then even when that industry kind of petered out, uh, you know, in, in 2000, when file sharing became a thing, I mean, that cut the legs out from everybody. It did. Uh, half of the industry's revenue just disappeared like in a year. And uh, that forced them to be quite uh, judicious with with what they did and it meant a, a complete rebuilding and i just I, and now it's all back and it's all digital and it's generating more revenue than ever but a completely different paradigm yeah I'm not sure christian music has figured out that paradigm exactly and i think the audience has changed you had a you had an audience back in the day that a lot of our listeners our readers only listened to christian music they didn't like quote unquote secular music uh, and if we brought up something they deemed to be too secular, they didn't take kindly to it. When Amy Grant tried to get out of a corral, they went after her <laughs> big time. Yeah. You can't have a top 40 hit on radio. That's, you know, you don't mention Jesus enough in it. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, or at all. Uh, it, it's just a different paradigm now. And it's not for me. I, I was way into it back then. I'm not way into it now, but that's just, it's my age and lifestyle and I kind of, I think I did my part at that time and now it's a different season of life. So what are you doing now? So, so tell me, tell me what you're doing in the music industry right now. Uh, nothing. Not at all. Retired. Completely retired? Yep. Uh, after the GMA, uh, Lauren Ballman and I did a project where we were trying to get a new top level domain for the music world. Uh -huh. uh, that is dot music. So you could be Andy Chrisman dot music instead of dot net. Yeah. Says what you do. So that meant working with ICANN, the internet corporation for assigned names and numbers, and working with all the different music trade, trade associations around the world uh, to get them to back us. There were eight applicants to operate dot music, including Google and Amazon. Oh, wow. And we were the, we were the small guys. But we were actual music industry guys. And so took a lot of work and a lot of international travel. But we got probably 90% of all the world's music makers, both professional and amateur, to uh, give us written letters of endorsement for what we were trying to do. Very, very difficult. Very challenging. Um, 
but uh, it, it took us 10 years. And um, we ultimately, all of us who were applying, sold out to one of the other applicants who was just willing to put up the money at that point in time. And everyone was sick of dealing with it. So yeah. that just kind of, uh, that will that will happen. That's a live domain on the internet. Um, but the pandemic happened and, you know, I, I don't know very much about it now, but that took, that was my post GMA world, yeah. which involved all music, not just Christian music. In fact, Christian music is a, a tiny, tiny part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, if even that, uh, we were dealing with, uh, like the RAAA and the musicians unions and the internet and the international version of, of them, the publishers and all that stuff. And dealing with ICANN, ICANN runs the internet. They manage the domain name system for the internet. Their man, their uh, job is to maintain the security and security, security and resilience of the internet, which is like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a whole, no universe. one thinks about it. Yeah. No one yeah. thinks about it. Someone, I, I, I've never thought about it. Make sure it works all the time. Well, I just want to say, I just want to say, you know, I, I can think back of, seeing for him you know first on an inside cover which was the first big win you know from you know for our career going we're on the inside cover of ccm magazine or <laughs> you know benson actually bought an ad for our you know for our second album and then you know to actually be on the cover of ccm uh magazine multiple times yeah you were a few times just, yeah it was just it was just always a thrill and we never knew. Yeah, we never knew until just weeks before it came out if we actually made the cover. You know, we knew. Uh, you know, if our interview was going to be in there, how are you going to respond to our albums? Uh, but I, I only have really great memories of That's what good. CCM did for our career. And I just wanted to ask you as we wrap this up. You know, you, you've you've talked about a lot of things that you're you say you use the word proud in a you know uh, you don't want to be in the in the right way. But what would, you, what would you say as you look back over your career and your involvement of Christian music that you're most proud of? That I did everything I did in every role that I played with the highest level of integrity that I knew to bring to it. Never compromising basic principles. And um, knowing there were no shady deals. There was no, it was, it was done with, with the best heart uh, I could bring to it. Not always right. There's things I would definitely do different today. Yeah. But real time on the ground, doing stuff with the very best of intentions. And I'm probably most, uh, I don't know, proud isn't the right word, but you know what I mean. Satisfied. Uh, just feeling um, like. Yeah, tr just trying to do the next right thing yeah. all yeah. the time. Well, and, that's awesome. and whether it was or not, time will tell. Yeah. Well, honestly, selfishly, I was hoping you're going to say your most proud moment was was being on our Ride of Life video. Oh my <laughs> gosh! <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're bringing back some memories there. Yeah. Were you ever in anybody else's videos, music videos, any other band members, or any, any other? Not PCM that I bands? can recall. Nobody, nobody else was yes. that dumb. <laughs> you put me in their video, just you guys. Well, we I was on the cover of an Isaac Air Freight comedy album. Really? And wearing a dunce cap. <laughs> real real big trivia there. You took it all in stride. Well, man, it's just so good to to connect with you again. Again, I'm honored. You're a hero of mine in so many ways. Wow. 
Uh, so nice. know, I just love that you finished. You haven't finished your race, but you know, in retirement, you have finished your career well. And and you know, I just you know, I just want to honor you. Uh, thank in you. this conversation, just again to say thank you for the impact you made in my life. Thank you. That's 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 the kindest thing anybody could ever say. That's all I would ever want. So thank you so much for that. Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. If you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Chrisman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychrisman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.